Hello and welcome to the For the Win podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line once again by my producer, Hemel Javeri. Hemel, it is good to speak with you in this form. Hi, Ted. How are you? I'm doing well, as you know from our conversation that preceded this podcast. I know. We, we've had a lengthy conversation before we even got started. I think probably the longest. We, we are as warmed up as we will ever be. For, <laughs> I know. We were a little, podcast. we were very chatty today. And I should say, before we go on, because we always say we're going to promote this at the top of the show, but yes. we've run into a roadblock. Um, the iTunes feed, we believe, has been fixed. So now new episodes of the For the Win podcast are showing up on iTunes. We would love it and uh, appreciate it, which is redundant. If you could rate and review the For the Win podcast on iTunes, subscribe there too. Uh, the more reviews and ratings and feedback we get, presumably the cooler stuff we get to do on this podcast. So anything you can do, uh, if you don't like it, let us know. And if you do like it, especially uh, tell everyone else on iTunes. I agree. And, there, and we don't even believe that it's been fixed. I double-checked, and it has been fixed. Dope. Good work Dope. on that. That's a shout-out to Hemel for being dutiful in trying to get that fixed. Uh, that is my job. Now, there are some podcasts, I believe, that have sort of been lost to the ether. They're out there. You can find them on the Internet. They're brilliant, and they will be known as, like, the lost tracks when this podcast blows up and it becomes just, like, every single word we say is essentially, you know, the gospel of podcasting. People yeah. will be like, whoa, what about those four episodes we've never really heard before? And they'll be uncovered, and, I don't know, they'll sell, like, a digitally remastered version in 2032 and hopefully <laughs> make me a lot of money. It'll be like lost, you know, Bob Dylan tracks that randomly show up from, from whenever. Yeah, like when they came out with those, like, two crappy new Beatles songs. <laughs> It was like, oh, there's new Beatles songs now. And it was like, ah, let's pretend there weren't. That's awesome. Um, we, got, we got a bunch of questions. I solicited questions, as we always do for the late week podcast. And Hemel is typically my guest to answer them. And we, we've got a bunch of good ones. It seems like now we need, because I think people are used to the fact that I'm just going to keep asking until we have adequate questions. Mm -hmm. People come with the questions a little bit sooner. So we've got, uh, we've got a couple. Uh, I should say a bunch. We have a bunch. we got and a bunch. Uh, I'll start with our man Dennis has a podcast who's always got a question because he knows how it goes. And he wants to know, I know you love Jeopardy. What Price is Right game would you most like to play? This is a layup for me. But do you, do you watch Price is Right? Uh, it's a long story. I used to watch a lot of Price is Right just because my mom was a big fan. Huh. Um, but I, at this moment, I'm having a really hard time thinking of any of the games. Well, it's Plinko, right? I mean, it's okay. everybody wants to That's the to only one I can think of. Yeah, that's, that's the that's, only one I can think of. Right, but I, but that's like the that's the win on Price is Right. Like I don't think there's I don't think there's really any argument around it. Like if you want to be on Price is Right, obviously the dream is you get Plinko. Like I could do there's like the golfing one and there's like there there's ones where it's like higher or lower is the price higher and lower mm -hmm. i don't really care that much about that stuff it's plinko for me and it's plinko all day and i feel like it's like i feel like if you surveyed like 99 percent of people who are aware of prices right uh, or if you if you surveyed 100 percent 99 percent of people are going to say plinko i agree with that but they i think that's whole, only they should make a whole show out of plinko but there, there's no other game that is as memorable, though. I think that's kind of the problem. Like, you, in the beginning, you bid, 
And then after that, it's just guessing the prices, right? I feel like Plinko is essentially a metaphor for life. We're all <laughs> little coins bouncing back and forth between random sticks and who knows where we're going to fall or something. I don't know. I haven't really thought it through, but it feels like that's probably the case. And wow, that's you're probably getting... the source of its worldwide appeal. It, you're it's getting not... super existential really early. <laughs> yeah, I am. But I feel like maybe that's why people are into it. People are like, oh, yeah, I am sort of randomly drifting and not in control. And I don't and... know where I will finish. So... And up until the last second, you thought you were getting the car, but then it ends up you just got, you know, a brand new can of dish soap yeah, or something like, like that. Yeah, it's tied with bleach, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I know, that is, yeah, that's pretty much it, right? That's, uh, that's it. All right, should we just it. end the podcast there? <laughs> um, we're done, we're done. No, we're not going to, because we've got more questions. Uh, this one comes from my friend Brett, uh, former co-worker Brett, and Brett is messing with me. Because he knows I've handled this question before. Brett is a sandwich enthusiast, as, as am I, as, Emily, you know. And as you, I are, you are not really. I'm not. Um, but that's okay. That's because I think, I think meat really benefits a sandwich. I think that uh, there are good vegetarian sandwiches. I like falafel. Do you like falafel? I do like falafels. I don't like falafel as, a lot of, as much as a lot of people, but I like it. I like falafel, especially, I would say, while drunk. Falafel gets like <laughs> exponentially better for me, and especially uh, it feels like it's something that's frequently available late night. Like we have the halal carts on every corner, basically, mm-hmm. and so like 1:30 a.m. on my way home, been out at a bar or something, yeah. fl- it's on with falafel. Is that your is that your favorite food? Is that your favorite like post drinking food? Uh, it's got to <laughs> be up there. So I will give a shout out, and I I brought this. I used to bring this up on an old Metzg podcast uh, I did, like, years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I've written about it, too. There used to be a guy, um, there's the legendary club CBGB's in New York, which no longer exists. It now, I believe, has a outpost in the Newark airport, which is hilarious and weird. Uh, it was, like, a very well-known punk rock club and sort of a place where just about every you know, independent band would play. They would have, like, Monday Night Jams and, like, Mm -hmm. seven different bands would play and stuff like that. And uh, a really fun place to go see music. And right outside, there was this dude who I am pretty sure was one type, uh, was the the South Asian type of Indian guy (laughs) pretending to be the Native American type of Indian Indian guy. (laughs) And he had a food cart that was called From Atlantis with Love, and he had different stuff every day. It wasn't always the same. It was often a burrito, but he had, like, fresh ingredients and stuff, and, like, he would be, like, grating ginger into your burrito and cutting up fresh peppers and everything, and that guy made some of the best late-night drunk food I've ever had in my life, and when CBGB's closed, he stopped showing up there, and I don't know where... If that cart still exists somewhere in New York City, I want to know about it so bad because I want to go there. So if anyone out there is listening and knows what happened to that place, please, please uh, send me an email, tberg at usatoday.com. Tweet at me, anything. I, I want to go eat that again. Uh, so that would be, yeah, that would be up there for me. Uh, do, you have a, do you have a preferred post-drinking food? I, I will say my post-preferred drinking food, uh, I spent my semester abroad in London, and, uh, you know, when the pubs would close, there is fish and chips guys all over the place, so I n- skipped the fish, but 
the chips portion of it with um, with vinegar, like salt and vinegar, was mm -hmm. probably my favorite. I know it sounds a little basic, but it's very, very good. No, French fry it's, is definitely good. Yeah. I mean, like for for me, that was uh, diners, like especially when uh, like you're in high school and college, and and mm -hmm. and maybe you in on Long Island, you went, you wind up at the diner. That's like your last stop. And so the French fries with gravy and and cheese. Now I know to be poutine, but we just knew them as like disco fries or French fries with gravy and cheese. That's a, a very good, very good option. Um, but I'm I'm fairly flexible in that department. This is not Brett's question. Brett's no, question that's not. Is, we we sidetracked quite a bit. Sorry. He just wants to know if a hot dog's a sandwich, and he knows already that my answer is a resounding yes. I don't even like to engage people on this topic anymore because I've discussed it at such great length. Uh, it is a piece of meat, a protein, that is, in fact, sandwiched between two pieces of bread. Yes, the bread is hinged. Guess what? So is the bread on a Philly cheesesteak. So is the yep. bread on an Italian hero, if you're putting one together. The only reason anybody says a hot dog would not be a sandwich is because it has a different name, which is hot dog. But so does a French dip, and no one would contend that that's not a sandwich. It's a nonsensical, non-starter of an uh, argument. A hot dog is 100% of a uh, sandwich, and everyone who doesn't recognize that yet needs to just get on board and stop talking about it. <laughs> All right, that's a definitive answer, and I'm definitely going to let you have the last word on it. Thank you for deferring to me on this subject. Yeah. Believe me, I have thought about this at, I would say, greater length and discussed it more often than, like, I'm going to guess, like, all but... Point oh 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 one of of humanity. I will say this is one of those questions that I think is the most pointless of all time. <laughs> it's extremely pointless. I think that's what's kind of fun about it, and that's like why it's why it's an internet thing. Is of like course. it does it does like foster some debate, but it shouldn't. I don't even think it's a good question for that. I think there are better things we could be arguing about. I don't like it. I'm done with it. Uh, <laughs> Maggie wants to know our coworker Maggie Hendricks at Maggie Hendricks. She wants to know. If either of you had a chance to go to space in the SpaceX rockets next year, would you? Why or why not? You go. Okay, we talked about this a little bit last time. Mm -hmm. um, so this is an interesting question because am I just going up in space in like a rocket? Like I'm just going to be stuck in the rocket? So I believe this is something that, that SpaceX just announced they were going to try to do, which is to send people on a... a craft that they are building or perhaps that they already have. I don't know if it's a new thing or, or an old thing, but their plan is to send someone on like basically a lap to the moon mm -hmm. and back. But you're not getting off okay. on the moon. You're not okay. like going to go walk around the moon. You're yeah. just going around the moon and then coming back. Okay. So I will say to Maggie's, to that portion of Maggie's question, no. Because to me, that just sounds like a really terrible like roller coaster ride and I would get sick and I'd probably pass out, and I, I don't want to do that. If it was, like, a different kind of spaceship, like, if we're talking about the Martian spaceship, and you could, like, walk around and do stuff, I would 100% be on board for something like that. But See, I think I feel almost exactly the opposite way. Oh, really? I feel like, and, and I would be cautious. I mean, look, I... I don't know enough about SpaceX to say, like, oh, those guys have it figured out. And I know, like, Elon Musk is behind it, and he seems like a super smart dude. He's kind of like our public intellectual right now, and that's mm -hmm. cool. But mm -hmm. I would really, really, really want to research the safety <laughs> of this project before I went out. I would say that more than anything. But uh, and, and 
it's complicated by the fact that I am a married man, and I would feel extremely bad if uh, I died, right? Like, I feel like my yeah. wife would be really sad if I died, especially if I died on, like, something that you just don't need to do. You don't need to go to space, right? Um, and so if it's like, oh, like, you won this opportunity to go to space on the first mission that these people are trying to send around the moon, I would only be reluctant because I know how much my wife and my family care about me, and I would... <laughs> Um, but if I were like a single man and or if I were someone without strong uh, love and affinity for my family and uh, then I w it would be a no doubter for me. Right? Like, Are you oh, serious? You can go to space? Oh, hell yeah, I'll go to space. Are you serious? I, you I, need to be I, an astronaut. Or that's no, a, you're, you're not an, mm, I don't know. I'm going to push back and say I don't think that you're like a tourist. Like SpaceX. Who cares? Who cares? You're a tourist in you, space. There's like, a, like use, less than 100 people have been to space. You get to go to space? I, I think that the whole premise of this, which is that, would I want to be the first person that, to go up? No. I want to be like the third. Well, because people are going to die during this, and I want to make sure that we've worked out all the kinks before I take this particular, like, Disney World ride. Um, but also because I get really motion sick, and I think that... I would just end up feeling queasy and gross the whole time and just be like, ugh, when, do, when can I get back on solid land? So I'm not that adventurous. Maggie, I'm sorry. I have no doubt that I would feel queasy and nauseous the whole time. And then I would get back and I'd be like, hey, guys, guess where I just was? Space! <laughs> right? You go to space. Yeah. Who gets to go to space? You go to, I, go to space, you take that opportunity. I'm I, sorry. If Elon Musk, if you're out there listening right now, I would <laughs> like to be on, like, the fourth or fifth trip around the moon. Once I feel confident, you're not going to mess it up. I'm not, I'm not going on a SpaceX rocket, but if NASA wants to send me on some kind of shuttle mission, mission I will think about it. So you trust the government over the, the, private, uh, the private space flight? You know, I, I follow all of NASA's social media feeds, and I think they do a great job. So I feel like they just have a better track record than SpaceX. I feel like I tried to fly on that guy Rob Delaney's rocket to, to space because he's good on Twitter, and it, he probably didn't put it together well. I had a joke <laughs> yeah. going on there. But I, I don't know that. Uh, and, again, like I'm, I'm all about NASA, and like I, I think a lot of uh, – people who were ever little kids, which is all of us, and dreamed about space. It's yeah. like super sad that now we can't get to the moon anymore. Like, we can't, we really can't we, get, we can't get to the moon. We used to we get to the moon in the 60s, and we can't get to the moon now. That's well, sad to me. It's and, not, it's not that we can't. There's just no point in, in going. We can't if, get if to the moon. Like, if someone, some alien race called us and was like, hey, we want to set up a meeting, can you get to the moon tomorrow? Or can you get to the moon in two months? We couldn't get to the moon in two months. Okay, we couldn't get to the moon in two months. We could get to the moon in however much time it takes to build a rocket to get to the moon. But right now, you know, nothing, they're doing... And there's nothing up there. Yeah, and there's nothing up there. They're sending, like, robots, like, 30 billion light years away so that they can land on asteroids to, to figure out, like, where human beings came from. I mean, that stuff is way, way cooler than, hey, we went to the moon. I don't know, going to the moon seems pretty cool. I'm looking at the bigger I know, picture. I, know I want them right. to investigate I want them to investigate those seven Earth like planets and see which one we can start colonizing. ASAP, please. <laughs> I know that you're right. And I know that if like yes, if you were gonna have like a government funded space program, 
it should be doing the important stuff and the good science. And I get that, like, maybe there's not a lot more we can learn on the moon, right? It's like, here's this big moon, and it orbits around the Earth, and sometimes it's light, and sometimes it's dark, and you get a really cool view of the Earth from there. But all that stuff still seems pretty magical to me. I would love to check out the moon. If you so, know what it is? What's that? It, it, it is, it's, the moon is pretty soon, like, SpaceX is right, it's just going to be, like, a tourist destination. Like, like you go to Disney World so, or you go to the Grand Canyon, no, now you're just going to have to go it. to the moon. I remember, yes. I was just about to bring this up, I remember... Mark my words. I remember when I was in third grade and the decade changed, it turned to 1990, it was the new year when I was in third grade, and I remember uh, we had, like, a worksheet that said, like, the things are going to happen, like, in 2000. Things are going to happen in 2010. Things are going to happen in 2020. This thing said, by 2010, there is, like, a moon, a full-blown moon colony. That was the <laughs> prediction we got in school. was like, this is going to happen. Like, don't worry. By 2010, we've already got the biodome or whatever else. So by 2010, you'll be able to just go to va on vacation to the moon. I, I don't see it happening. I, don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be an I easy way for me in my lifetime to get to the moon. I'm I'm pretty sure you can get to the moon. I just I just think you're right. I just think you can get out and like walk around on the moon. And I will say by the end of our lifetime, we're going to see I would say the very beginnings of a colony on Mars. I don't buy it. I, I we we can make a long-term bet if you want, like go over like we can bet a thousand space bucks that like by the time <laughs> one of us, the first of us dies, they like if you if you die and we're not on the moon yet, you have to give me a thousand dollars in your will and and vice versa. Donate um, a, eat eat a favorite sandwich of mine in my honor as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. Good question, Maggie. Yeah. Uh, this is a tougher one. This is from Mark Ginocchio at the It's Chasing ASM blog, uh, which is the amazing, uh, it's Amazing Spider Talk plot podcast. Oh, it's the Chasing Amazing blog, which is the Mets blog. Um, but he oh, also okay. apparently hosts a Spider-Man podcast, which, hey, who knew? But, well, I mean, who, <laughs> far be it for us to question podcast interest where you're talking yeah. about the moon and walking dead and stuff so uh i'm all about it good for you uh what's the sandwich equivalent of eliminating the intentional walk from baseball I, it's oh a, god i don't even understand that question that's an all you question well do you know about eliminating the intentional walk do you know yeah, i do know about it but that's because i work with you but okay so i could use a refresher so basically the intentional walk in baseball is you it, traditionally it has always been at least at the major league level uh you the pitcher has to throw four balls way off the plate so that the batter is, has officially seen four balls and can now take his base. They're changing that rule. It's, it was always a formality. Like, once a season, something wacky happens because an unintentional walk goes awry. But it's so rare that it, they've decided now, and this is what they've done in high school for a long time, uh, you, when the guy comes out, if you want to intentionally walk him, you just point to first base, and the guy can just walk to first base. You don't have to go through the two-minute process. It's, a, it's stupid that they think it's, or that they're doing it in the name of pace of play, because there's, like, one intentional walk maybe every other game. So you're talking yeah. about saving an average of, like, 35 seconds per yeah. game or something. Yeah. Um, so whatever. I mean, I just don't think... 
anyone really cares enough. My wife is actually a big fan of the intentional walk. I don't know why, but I'm actually a big fan too. <laughs> uh, so she's so she's super upset about it, but she got over it real quick. She said like we'll always have our memories, and <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how there would be a sandwich equivalent. It's just like cutting corners on a formality. So I guess, oh, actually, I got it perfect. It's perfect. Um, mm -hmm. The sandwich equivalent of the intention, eliminating the intentional walk are those peanut butter and jelly things that come pre-mixed. You know, like when oh. there's Smucker's peanut butter and jelly, but then now it's like, oh, this is the one where it's striped, and you can oh, get God. all your peanut butter and jelly in, in one. Yeah. Knife because it's... Fine, whatever, like, who really cares? Yeah, oh my god, I can't believe they thought to combine the peanut butter and the jelly, but it lacks the subtleties of the original, because I feel like when I make mm -hmm. a peanut butter and jelly, I want, a higher, I want a higher portion of peanut butter to jelly. And so those take away the intricacies that make the peanut butter and jelly fun to me. And also, it doesn't really save you that much time. And it doesn't really save you that much time. Like, well, there's a, there's a, um, the, the sketch comedy show Mr. Show has yep. an incredible sequence of sketches, um, which came out right when Hellman started making Dijonese, which is mustard and mayonnaise mixed. <laughs> oh, God. And it was so like, great. it was a commercial for uh, a product called, they had a competing product. <laughs> one was mayo tart and one was mustard mayonnaise. <laughs> and... The, co the commercial showed, like, a, a dad and all the life events of his daughter he missed because he needed separate containers of mustard and mayonnaise. And so she's like, Daddy, it's my graduation! And he, like, looked down at the sandwich he was making and, like, shrugged because he couldn't go. It's super good. It's weird to uh, recap a comedy sketch from, like, 1992, uh, but that's what I'm doing because it was really funny. Everybody should check that out. And, again, you're absolutely right. It just doesn't really save you that much time. Yeah. <laughs> um, Greg Presto. You know Greg Presto. I do know Greg Presto. Coming out of He's from in Africa. Africa. Um, yeah. Our former coworker, Greg Presto, one of the nicest dudes you'll ever meet. Um, and well, wait, before we get to this question, I will say that he's the only person that I've met whose hair rivals your hair. Really good head of hair. Really good head of hair. I say that, I would say even comfortably that it rivals mine, and that is a extremely <laughs> difficult thing for me to say. Like, there are, again, there are like three or four other people in the world where I'd be like, that guy has good hair. And it's basically Greg Presto and Braves prospect Dansby Swanson, and that's it. So... <laughs> Greg wants to know, and he's coming at us from Africa, where he is also maintaining like the best Instagram of all time because he's a super talented photographer. So he's out there shooting zebras and stuff. Um, he wants to know, in a real life Walking Ted scenario, which he means Walking Dead, uh, what would be the three best zombie apocalypse skills to have? Ooh. Well, I mean, look, if you go based on the show. Obviously, crossbow accuracy, right? Because on the show, part of the zombie game is that they're attracted to sound, so gunshots, even if you're a great shot with a gun, unless you have a silencer, which they should get more silencers. You would think mm. that they would find those. Um, it, it, having the crossbow and being dope with the crossbow, like Daryl, super useful. I would say that, for me, I have no crossbow skills right now, so it would be really hard for me to develop them in time for a zombie apocalypse unless I knew for a fact it was coming. Um, I wonder if, I mean, three is a lot of skills. I would say, well, let's start it about this way. Hamill, yes. what skills do you have 
that you think would be valuable in a zombie apocalypse? Well, so, none. Flat out. None right now. None. Aside from the fact that... Well, you're flexible, uh, right? You're very flexible. Well, I'm very flexible, but I, I don't... Well, you know what? I'm also a runner, so I think I could easily outrun the the zombies. I don't think that would be an issue. But wait, so Greg's original question was what three skills would be the most useful? Yeah, what would be the three best to have? Okay, so I agree with this, like, so I think crossbow accuracy is good because even if you're shooting, like, you could hand me a gun and then I've never fired a weapon in my entire life, so there's no, there's no chance I even hit something. Um, so some kind of marksmanship, I think, would be really good. I would say the one skill that I've noticed at The Walking Dead that is very, very crucial is, like, you have to learn how to hotwire a car. I feel like they're oh, yeah. doing that all that t all the time, and I don't know how to do that. You, that's that's you, one of those skills. Hotwiring a car seems like the type of thing that is way easier on TV than it is in real life, right? Yeah. like, I feel like... 25% of people on TV can hotwire a car, and no one I have ever met knows how to hotwire a car. Yeah, it seems like on TV, everybody just knows how to do it. Is that even a real it. thing? Do we know that people really can even hotwire cars? Like, are, are cars that they're putting out in 2017 no. capable of being hotwired? I don't think so anymore. I think that there's so much of it, like, the computer is all digital now, so yeah. I don't even know if you can hotwire cars anymore. Um, the not, other skill... I'm not 100% convinced that hotwire car is even a thing. I believe that, like, maybe if you had, like, a real strong understanding of how cars work, and, like, some car from the 60s that didn't have adequate security, maybe you can figure that out. But I'm just, I'm not buying that, like, there are people who can just, like, make any car go. That doesn't, that doesn't <laughs> Well, it, it seems like the older car is probably better than new ones. Um, the other scale, which are pretty basic, but you need the ability to be able to, like, jump over tall things. Oh, They're always, yeah. like, scaling fences and stuff like that, which, again, looks really easy, but I bet is actually very hard to do. See, I am, for, for someone who is not a limber man and not fast, I have a lot of experience climbing over fences because there's, like, really? a lot of... There's a lot of fence climbing in my childhood. Uh, and for one thing, because my best friend lived like two houses away from me, and for whatever reason, we just cut through our neighbor's backyard instead of walking out to the sidewalk and went, walking around. So every time I went over to his house to hang, over, hang out, it involved hopping two fences. Because <laughs> um, we both used our back doors primarily, so it was just like from back door to back door, like a quick dash across my backyard, over the fence, through the, our neighbor's backyard, over the fence, and into his backyard. Um, so I have, like, I have that skill. Um, I don't know that it's, like, a, a strength of mine. I don't want to say that, especially as, like, injuries tear my mm -hmm. body apart. Like, now <laughs> I've got this elbow thing going on. i got a torn tendon in my elbow. And so, like, I'm thinking about it, and it's like, oh, I know I can climb a fence. But I'm thinking about the actual action of it, and it's like, oh, that's going to make my arm hurt a lot. So that stinks. <laughs> I feel like I'm already past, like zombie apocalypse fitness levels because there's just too many things on my body that are hurt. Um, yeah. So I would say, like, skills I have yeah. would be, like, I'm a guy, if you were, like, foraging for food and you weren't sure if you could eat something, I would be really good at eating it and telling you if you could <laughs> eat it or not. Right? Like, Because I have, like, a, a pretty... It's weird. I have, like, a pretty strong stomach for things that might be bad. 
I can weather an illness okay. Like I got a good, I got a good strong jaw. Like in boxing terms, like I, you know, like I'll get sick and I'll deal with it. So I feel like if if you needed a guy in your group of zombie survivors to be the guinea pig for food, I could be that guy, and maybe they would keep me around for that. I so my skill probably, and this is going to make me sound like a not very nice person. But I think that I would be the person who isn't going to hesitate if it comes to, like, kicking the weaker <laughs> members out of the group. Like, you need somebody to make the tough choices, and I think I would be that person. <laughs> um, yeah, as, as has dis been discussed on, th on this podcast before, um, I am almost certain I would be the first to resort to cannibalism. Um, I don't know that that's a skill you want. I don't know that that's even good in the zombie apocalypse. Uh, I'm just sure that I would be that desperate. I also feel like I, uh, I am, I would say, and li like, again, I'm talking about things I'm good at. There are tons of things I'm bad at. I feel like I'm a pretty, I'm pretty good at honestly assessing my skills, and mm -hmm. I feel that, like, one of my greatest skills is that I am a true, we, we throw this term, term around a lot, but I feel that, in my case, I am a true BS artist, and yeah. <laughs> that I could probably just lie my way into survival for a really long time. Like, uh, like, like Eugene. Like Eugene, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, no, I would be, I don't know if I have, I mean, obviously, I would say my favorite character is Michonne, and I would love to be like Michonne, but mm -hmm. I'm definitely not as cool as Michonne. Um, I think the other skill, or not even the other skill, I think one of the things that would probably hinder me the most is that I don't like being dirty like I like being clean and taking uh, showers yeah. mm -hmm. that and that's the one thing that would just kill me yeah like I can't even go to like a concert festival because yeah. three days at any place without showering I'm like this is disgusting I'm not enjoying this music anymore I just want to shower <laughs> yeah. so zombie apocalypse like that's my tough. chances aren't great not great that's tough but uh you know I mean you gotta do what you gotta do I feel yeah. like mostly I would probably just die yeah, I I'm think so too. I'm super slow. I think ultimately my, my lack of speed would be what cost me. Um, <laughs> I, obviously, the key is to just always make sure you're with someone slower than you are, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't know necessarily. And I feel like those people would only last for like the first couple of months at most, right? Wait. And so once they all die out, then I'm going to get eaten. So this is a good question about The Walking Dead. I feel like the show's been going on for, like, six or seven years. But I think in Showtime, like, each season is only, like, three weeks or something like that. So these people have really been alive for, like, less than a year. And it's, like, almost ruined them well, multiple times. Is, I don't know. Because, like, it's, it's, I feel like that's not really fully addressed. Because we've seen Carl has, like, grown up so much. Obviously, well, that's, that's just the nature that's of... That's just the actor, right? yeah. Um, yeah. And I feel like there are passages of time, right? Like, when they're at the jail, then they grow <clears throat> stuff, right? So, like, it takes right. a while to grow okay. stuff. So, I feel like they, there are, like, I feel like the action is probably compressed, but I feel like there are sort of implied times when when time does pass. There's, um, and it but it's like definitely the, not as much time as has happened in real life. Oh, definitely, of course. I mean, that's that's definitely true. Yeah. Um, and, like, I mean, as we've discussed in the past, not on the podcast, it's like it took them six years to get out of Atlanta, and then, <laughs> like, it takes them, like, two days. They're in D.C. Um, exactly. So, so right. it's, 
the there's a lot you sort of have to suspend your disbelief with. Mm -hmm. I will say that since we last spoke about it, uh, I watched the three episodes that I missed and caught mm -hmm. up, and I've liked the most recent ones uh, more than I had liked the ones at the beginning part of the season. Nice. I am one episode behind, um, but the other two that I watched I liked, mainly like we talked about earlier, because they went back to the core characters without kind of focusing on the periphery of what was happening. See, which they, I... went, they went a little, so the most recent one went back sort of to the periphery, but yeah. I actually thought it was in kind of a cool way. It's still slow, there's still some issues, but I've gotten over my distaste for, like, the mm -hmm. whole Negan plotline, even though I know that in every single case it's like, here are these new people, now we fight them, right? Like, that's just the yeah. formula at this point. That's just the formula. And we're moving towards that fight now. But, I don't know, I kind of like, I kind of like the... I always, the parts of the show I always like are, like, the rebuilding civilization parts of the show, mm -hmm. and I get that they, that there's no real room for that to happen. Like, they can't just turn it into, like, Sim City, the TV show, and have <laughs> these people like, now we're just going to forget about the zombies. Um, but that's always... But I would like for them to have, I would like for them to have other challenges versus just, like, evil human being right. after evil human being. Time yeah. to fight more people, you know, yep. yeah, right? Like, yeah. how do we grow stuff, you know? Oh, there was... Know. There was one, and I think there was, like, an arc in season four where it was just, like, an illness that swept through them. And I was like, okay, that's at least a little bit more interesting because it isn't focused so much on right. how people right. are terrible. Yeah, and then, yeah. like, Carol, remember Carol had to kill the people because they were dying. Yeah. And then, yeah, that was a, I mean, spoiler alert for three spoiler seasons. Spoiler alert. Uh, right. I, I'm right. thinking also for in terms of skills that are useful, if you could, except I guess there's no shortage of, like, lighters around, right? You can find mm -hmm. a lighter. Because mm -hmm. it's not like you're out in the wilderness. You're out in regular, our world, just depleted of people and energy Resources. and stuff. Right. So um, definitely that um, is not, like, be, being able to make fire without a lighter would be cool, but I guess you can just always kind of find matches or a lighter in, in, that, in that scenario. Yeah. Something um, flammable. I'm a sweet driver. Um, so that's cool. I know everybody thinks they're a good driver. Again, I'm being honest here. I'm a good driver. Uh, I would be good, good driver with a great set of hair. Yeah, that would be it. It would just, uh, just give me a convertible and let the wind fly through my hair, and at least I would look cool while I'm getting chased by a zombie horde. I could probably drive <laughs> a motorcycle. Amazing. I feel like I could probably drive a motorcycle. That well, I need cool. to learn how to. I think that's another thing that that would be helpful is learning how to drive a motorcycle. Definitely. Um, yeah. You can. Uh, can you ride a bike? Yeah, I can ride a bike. I actually just recently learned how to ride a bike. I couldn't Did ride really? one until like yeah, I couldn't ride one until like five years ago. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I got a friend. I got a friend like that who just like he grew up in the suburbs, just never learned how to ride a bike. I don't, to me, like again, that was just like such a. I guess it was sort of the way that my town was spaced out growing up it was just like so by far the easiest way to get around to all your friends houses mm -hmm. that like one eighth grade ninth grade your standard suburban boy in my grade and some girls too but it was mostly like just packs of like 11 14 year old kids on bikes up to <laughs> no good that was like how how you got around it was like Here's I, my whole that crew. sounds really idyllic though so we grew up in this i said we've i've said this before but we grew up in cities um, like in downtown cities, and there just wasn't any space to to learn how to ride a bike. Right, yeah, yeah. There were there were no like 
open sidewalks or playgrounds or stuff where you would see kids riding bikes. Everybody was just walking or taking the bus. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, not, I mean, walking is fine. You can use that. Bus, no longer useful in a walking bit scenario. <laughs> uh, we got more. Uh, we'll go kind of quick through these. Uh, this comes from CTAR, at, at CTAR, Michael Donato. He wants to know, computers have recently beat humans at Go and No Limit Hold'em. Are we doomed? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that doesn't Ooh. mean we're doomed. I, I okay. think, um, you know, look, I'm as fearful of the singularity as everyone else. I watched on Jeopardy as Watson destroyed Ken Jennings, my hero, and I get that we can make computers that are better than us at certain things, but if you ever watch, like, first of all, I feel like there's a big space between, like, computers that can process stuff and robots that can do stuff, and mm -hmm. I think that we're so far away from having any sort of robot-type thing that can perform multiple tasks. Like, if you want to build a robot that can make pancakes, I'm sure you can make a robot that builds, that makes, like, badass pancakes. But how can you make a robot that can make pancakes and ride a bike, for example? And I think that that seems like it's so far off that we're not doomed yet. Uh, I will say, I'm going to disagree with you, and I'm going to say that, yes, we are all, all like, 100% doomed. We're all doomed. Well, we're all doomed, but the AI artificial robots are, are coming very quickly. So he's talking about computers, right? Like, can this computer uh, take over human things? Have you seen... So the, the fear Atlas? is this, the singularity, right? Which is when artificial intelligence gets to right. the point that it can duplicate itself and make more computers and be that whole Johnny Depp movie. Is that what you're, about to, is that what you're asking me about? Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that that's what his question basically is, right? Yeah, he just wants he, to know if we're doomed because human uh, because computers are better than us at at Yeah, poker. so he thinks that we're going to end up in a Terminator scenario where the robots just overtake us. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit more sinister, but have you seen what really freaks me out is uh, Atlas Labs in, I think it's Boston or something like that? If you don't know, Boston Dynamics, if you have not Googled it, you should because they have these creepy creepy robots that can walk and run and those things will come chase you and tear you down. I think we're a lot closer than than you than you are than you think, Ted. Boston Dynamics robot. Yeah, people are huh. Eh, I don't know. I'll I'll take my chances with the robot. I I'm not worried. <laughs> I'm not worried about the robots. I think people are the trouble still. Uh, I I like joking about being scared of the robot uprising. Not that scared of the robot uprising. I feel like we're gonna figure that out. Unplug them, right? Like until they, they yeah. figure out their own energy source, then then they're on their own. And also, when they figure out their own energy source, let us know because we could probably use one too. Well, I've seen a lot of sci-fi movies, and basically the plot of like the new of the last X-Men movie, and I think the one of the Captain America movies was the same. It's just like artificial intelligence gone haywire and well, just. Yeah. So zapping everybody. The Johnny Depp movie I'm thinking of is exactly that. And what a, Johnny Depp movie? Um, I'm looking it up now. Johnny Depp Singularity movie. It might have been called uh, Transcendence, it was called. Um, I've never seen that. It was cool. It was like it was like <laughs> the, it was a cool movie to watch. And it's like <laughs> one of those movies where it's like uh, you think about it more than it was good. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't think the movie was like, oh, what an awesome movie. But it's the type of movie that then sort of sticks with you because there are aspects of it you keep thinking about later. Um, mm-hmm. So it's something that, like, kind of comes up in my head a bunch. And, like, what happened was, like, Johnny Depp was the scientist who was working on it. And I, I don't want to talk too much about what happens in this movie because we've already <laughs> recapped a, a sketch comedy show. But Johnny Depp becomes the machine. And right. then he is, he reaches, he achieves the singularity. And he starts building more machines and turning more humans into machines and building machine-like humans to create his, like, robot empire. And I won't say what, where it goes from there, but <laughs> that's, that's basically the premise. And it's a pretty cool movie. I mean, not like the best, again, not a great movie. Not like, wow, that's the best movie I've ever seen. Just like a movie that I check out. Again, 19, Just like an okay movie. 19% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not a great endorsement of that movie, but I enjoyed it. So... I- in subtle, in subtle ways, like, my sister has a Google phone now, Pixel, and she uses, like, the OK Google app for basically everything. So Google really knows everything about her. Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, like, and that is what's super, super creepy, is because it can kind of predict what she's going to do next. And if her cell phone can already do that with data, it's just a very fine line between being able to track all your movements yeah, I yeah. I get that, and I'm terrified of Google for a variety of reasons because right. like, they control us now, and like they can read all my mm-hmm. emails, and they know what I'm up to, and like what I worry about would be something like a future where the government decides to contract out law enforcement to Google, and not necessarily yeah. Google, but some company like Google. I don't want to um, say that Google would be that, but like right. if Google wanted to find out what crimes we're committing. Google could find that out, I feel like, immediately. Because I feel like everyone's just Googling their crimes right before they commit them. (laughs) And so if you just followed, if you were like, oh, someone robbed a bank in in Texas yesterday, who in in Texas two days ago Googled how to rob a bank? And you're going to find that guy. (laughs) And so, like, that's that's what I fear is Google finding out all my sins. Yes, that's a that's a valid fear. All right, next question. Um, uh, well, this this one will go quickly. This is from Alex Dizenhouse at Daiso Twenty Two. Wants to ask me if I can use my influence to please rid Georgetown basketball of John Thompson the third. He says he has to be the worst worst coach in the country. I can't speak enough about college basketball to say that he's the worst coach in the country. I can say that he's not getting the job done for Georgetown and repeat what everyone who has discussed it has said, which is that it's an extremely complicated situation because his father built the Georgetown basketball program. His father's responsible for the program being something that has a good reputation and that still to this day can recruit pretty well. And his father's name is on the brand new athletic center they just built on campus. So it's really hard to part with the son then when the father maintains such a big influence. And I will also add that, and I assume, Hemel, I'm just taking this because I assume you don't have any hot takes on Georgetown basketball. I don't have any hot takes on Georgetown basketball. So I will just add that I am among the two classes of Georgetown students who attended the college uh, while Craig Escherich was coaching, exclusively during the Craig Escherich era. And I can tell you that with John Thompson III, you just don't have it that bad. Um, For as bad (laughs) as he's been lately, and he's been really, really, really bad lately, 
uh, watching the Craig Eshrick run teams was one of the most frustrating things in my life. I went to a school that I thought would be a cool place to go because the basketball basketball team's going to be great. And, like, Patrick Ewing went there, and I was a Knicks fan, and that was super exciting. And then I watched some truly miserable basketball. <laughs> got one Sweet 16 run out of it and a bunch of really, really bad teams, really bad offenses, and, and just... Just brutal, brutal basketball. And and the same type of stuff that was going on on campus now, uh, people, you know, sort of rallying for a new coach, was very much happening then. We just didn't have social media to spread it. So I, But you are still arguing that he basically only has his job because of nepotism. Yeah, he should, I mean, he shouldn't, have, he shouldn't have his job. I, and, yeah. I, and it's tough, again, because, like, and this is where you change from being a college student and... I think also where it changes once you are, like for me it's different now because now that I'm covering baseball teams and I'm dealing with managers on on the day-to-day -day and I know that people are saying fire this guy. I know that Mets fans say fire Terry Collins and it messes with you and I'm going to say it's not even in a bad way because I, I don't regret that this is the case for me. I don't want the Mets to fire Terry Collins because I think Terry Collins is a good dude and I think the players like him and I think that the difference between the best strategic manager and the worst strategic manager is not that big of a deal and I think that from a, just a human standpoint, I don't want to regret the fact that I think a guy should keep his job, right? Like, I, I just <laughs> yeah. don't. If, if, if it comes time for a team to fire a manager or a team to fire a coach, I will say, yes, they should absolutely, absolutely fire him. I don't know Johnson, John Thompson III. I can't tell you if he's a good dude or a bad dude, but by all accounts, he's a really good dude. And so because I, I believe have a little bit more perspective about this now that I do you know, cover teams up close, and I know that people would say this is a bias and this is a bad thing and this is something you should avoid, and maybe it is, but I, I just can't, it feels weird to me as a, just as a human being to be like, yeah, screw that guy, get him out of here. <laughs> I, I, there have been cases where I think uh, coaches have stayed well past their prime, but I will agree with you that being in the trenches on a daily basis with these sports, you do get a little bit more of an affinity for the actual people involved in it. Um, and again, I just would never want somebody to lose their job. It's a terrible thing that can happen to people. Um, and and like he's, I mean, that all these people are, like John Thompson III, it's not like he's going to the poorhouse if he loses right, his job. Right, but it he's still sucks. The best, they don't, we don't know his, his salary because of private school, but he's probably the best paid guy on campus, right? And yeah. like... I would say that some professors I had who are still there certainly did a lot more good by me than John Thompson III for as much as I've enjoyed certain past Georgetown basketball seasons. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> you know, I get it. I get it. I just, I, I don't want to, like, I'm not going to go on a stump campaign to get the guy to, and that is <laughs> with all due respect to Alice. I, I believe, look, if you want a better college basketball team at Georgetown, and I do, he shouldn't. I don't think he should be the coach anymore. I, and I just feel bad being like, yeah, absolutely, fire this guy, can him. Because, I don't know, maybe he's turning the Georgetown basketball players that do stay and don't transfer away, which are not the, not the really good ones who all leave. But uh, the ones who do stay, maybe they're all graduating to go on and do great humanitarian things and be great people. And really, it's a college basketball coach's job to form uh, good graduates, not good basketball players. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's not good. I'll tell you, it's not good. And it's really, it's a really, really 
immensely frustrating basketball team to watch because you can see that the talent is there and that it's just not playing well, and it, it, it's annoying. So you agree that he shouldn't have his job, but you will not be, like, leading the charge on him getting fired. That's it. That's it, exactly. I think that I am now past the point in my... Like, and I do think that there were times, there were times even in my professional career where I was like, they should fire this guy. Like, I thought the Mets should fire Omar Minaya. I said once... And, and I still think basically what happened in that situation was the Mets said, uh, their GM, Omar Minaya, they sort of put out feelers that he is, quote, on thin ice. And my take, and this remains true, is if in baseball, in any sport, if you think your general manager is not, like, and if you don't have full confidence in your general manager, you mm-hmm. need to fire your general manager immediately because your general manager is tasked not just with building a good team in the immediate present, but building a good team in for the long-term future. And once a guy gets the sense that he's under the gun, he's going to make decisions that jeopardize your team for the long term for immediate returns. And so you you can't have that. And so I would say in any case where a team doesn't have confidence in a general manager, I think also probably in college that that does apply to a head coach, then yeah, then it's got you got to go. I think that it needs to be we're on board with this guy's plan or we're not on board. With we're this not on board. Plan. I was in hockey the only time I felt like very strongly about a coach needing to be fired was when Dale Hunter coached the Washington Capitals a couple of years ago because he was just, I mean, so antithetical to what the Caps were actually good at. And he basically made Alex Ovechkin, who was the best offensive shot in in hockey at the time, and probably still is, um, into just a very well-played blue liner. So I, I get that frustration that you're feeling, but I don't feel it very often. I would say that the exception would be like situations like Mike Rice at Rutgers, where it's like mm-hmm. he's beating the kids up. Like, oh dude, yeah, for sure. Yeah, then course. you get fired. Yeah, obviously. Then you got fired. Um, all right. You know, but uh, uh, all right. Uh, let's go. We go. Okay, we got a bunch more, but we're gonna fly through them. We're gonna fly. Oh, through. okay. Well, let's let's do a time limit for these questions. Okay, we well, got let's a go bunch 30 more. Thirty seconds each. Thirty seconds. Thirty each. seconds. Um, if you made the Phillies front office people guess run the Sixers for the last six months, could the team be having a worse season? I would say probably only because the Phillies, I would not say, I think the Phillies are doing a great job uh, in their rebuild, but it seems like running a basketball team is really hard. Uh, I agree with you. Right? Like I don't have just, any hot takes on, on the 76ers. Me neither. It just seems yeah. like the, I don't understand the NBA salary cap, so I can't <laughs> imagine like you just, like I, don't, I think the Phillies front office would need more than six months to, to get that. Uh, this one, that's from STXV. This is from at Reno Wallabout. He wants to know what three athletes in any sport would you take on a cross-country road trip? All right, go. Uh, I got to go first. I didn't even think about okay, it. Okay, I can go. I can go. <laughs> I, I will take David Wright because he seems like he would always get out of the car and pump gas for you. Legitimately uh, the nicest. I think maybe I have a, a take that David Wright might be the world's only decent human being. I and I'm and I think that if you were stuck on a long cross country trip is a perfect time to test that out. Right. Uh, the other person I would take is PK Subban from the National Predators. Uh-huh. Seems like the most charming, like fun dude to have around, especially if you are stuck in a car and it might be super tedious. Um, I think the third person I will take is oh, kind of blanking, but I might go with Jonathan Taves. 
just because he'll be quiet and be able to settle everybody down when you need people to be settled down. Plus, he'd be really good at navigating. Like, he seems like the kind of guy that would, uh, you know, be able to tell you when you needed to take an exit. I feel like I would take R.A. Dickey because he would be Ooh. super interesting throughout, yes. right? Like, yeah, maybe, like, one. after a while, you're like, okay, stop, stop telling me about Hemingway. But <laughs> I feel like at least it would be super interesting for road trips. I would take... LeBron James, because I'm obsessed with him and just want to see him do stuff, so it would be like, hey, LeBron, like, let's stop at the road and see if you can jump over that thing, and, if, <laughs> and you know, that would be, that would be it. Uh, third pick, I don't know. I would, uh, there are a lot, like, I would, I would, I would probably be moved towards, again, like, David Wright is just going to, like, be mm -hmm. super nice, you know, so that's nice, and, and again, like, testing that would be cool. Um, top of my head, it's tough to think, like, Maybe can I bring Greg Popovich so we can hear his hot takes and like Ooh. that would be it and then we like all yes. like because like, I bet like Ari Dickey and Greg Popovich would have some like pretty interesting philosophical debates that yeah, like, me and LeBron you're, could you're, talk about. Yeah, but you're then you're stuck in a car with people that just want to have long philosophical debates and that sounds terrible. That's true. That's true. I want like a party guy. Um, yeah, you need a party guy. You oh, Jared Smith. I would take Jared Smith. Oh, oh, good one. Yeah, Dang. obviously. I, w I wish I could change mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, there's just one. I'll just take Jared, me and Jared Smith and hang out. He doesn't get to wear a shirt. Okay. Uh, All right. At Nate Gizmont wants to know, what is the best brand of mustard? Do you like mustard? Oh, God, no. I, I can't do the food. I can't do this, like, granular food stuff because it's just mustard. I don't care. Oh, it's not <laughs> Oh, no, no. Okay, well, I, I typically have, like, Three to four different varieties of mustard in my uh, yes. in my fridge. Give me something yellow to put in between the bread. Well, my one hot take I have is that yellow mustard is wildly underrated. People think yellow mustard is like super fake. Look at the ingredients on a bottle of good yellow mustard. There's like five ingredients in there. It just happens to be bright yellow because turmeric is one of them, and sometimes they do color it. But I will say, I will give a shout out. Um, do you remember, actually, you didn't even work here yet. So the, one of the first stories I ever wrote for USA mm -hmm. Today uh, was about uh, the Milwaukee Brewers racing sausages. One of them mm -hmm. got stolen. It was like the mascot costume got stolen. And I wrote, uh, I, I didn't know. I didn't know the scope that we, the, of the audience we would reach. And so I wrote like a sort of a joking post saying like, hey, I have great ideas for if you have this sausage costume, please contact me. And the people <laughs> contacted me and it became like this whole big thing. And it was like kind of a work nightmare. I learned all sorts of stuff about like how to be a responsible journalist. And it was like all <laughs> sorts of lessons for me. But among other things, um, a woman who runs a company called Mustard Girl Mustard uh, hooked me up with some mustard then. And it is extremely good mustard. And like, I wouldn't just say that because she sent me mustard. I'm saying that because I'm putting my name on that as a sandwich enthusiast. Mustard Girl Mustard. I believe she's in Wisconsin. She's a Brewers fan. I follow wow. her on Twitter and see her mustard all the time. Really, really, really good mustard. Uh, I would go to bat for it all day. That's quite a quite a story. Um, Brian P. Mangan wants to know: Have you been in communications with the Russians? The Russians, no. Russians, sure. Guy uh, who cuts yeah. my hair. <laughs> yeah, 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 with yeah with the Russians, no. But I do have a friend who is Russian, and I have spoken with him uh, recently. So yeah. Uh, I'm guessing you don't have a favorite cut of steak. Ooh, I. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this is my man at Wilcon. He wants to know favorite kind of steak. How do you take it? I like my steak medium rare uh, because I find that uh, I'm sorry, Emil. Uh, that rare is like a little like it, 
I would like it rare if I could know it was like at least warm on the inside, but sometimes you get too rare, and that kind of grosses me out. Uh, so I, I go medium rare. Uh, cut a steak, I don't have a big preference, actually. It just all depends on like how, uh, how adequately prepared it is. Um, I tend to buy like sort of the cheaper. I tend to eat steak at home, so usually I'm mm -hmm. eating sort of the lower level steak. I rarely go to a steakhouse just because it feels like you pay so much for something that is really easy to prepare at home. So mm -hmm. I like like a T-bone steak, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously like a porterhouse, which is the fancy type that you'd get at a Peter Luger's. Super good. Um, okay, last one. This is from at Horhulfran, um, which is, his name is Ryan Hamilton. Uh, this one you're going to like. What song did you forget even existed till you heard it on the radio this month? Oh, God. Do you listen um, to the radio? Alicia and I talked about the radio on here a couple weeks ago. I, I actually do listen to the radio because... You drive. My car, well, I drive, and also because my car is, like, old as dirt, and I still have a CD player, but I'm too lazy to change out the CDs, so, like, the CDs that have been in there have been in there for, like, ten years, and I don't want to listen to any of them. Do you not so have, like, a jack to plug your phone into the car? I mean, I do, but I also don't keep my music on my phone because it's just too much, it'll take up too much space. So. Okay. Um, and I'm, we've talked about this before, but I'm pretty serious about my music. Uh, God, it's hard to figure out, um... Oh, you know what? I do. I have an answer, but it's like this weird old country song that I think I heard when I was a kid, and I heard it again on the radio randomly. Like maybe it was Memphis is one of those weird. You have to Google it, but it's like an okay. old like 1990s country song. I've got this one, and I, I might have mentioned it on the show with Alicia. Bobby uh -huh. Brown. Bobby Brown's My Prerogative. Remember that <laughs> song? Like I completely forgot. I just forgot that song. And then I went to I went to Tampa. Tampa has a throwback rap station, and I was like, Oh my God, Bobby Brown's My Prerogative. I haven't heard this song like since 1995 or whenever this was out. And then I heard it like six times over the next four days because that's how the Tampa radio station rolls. I think for a long time I kind of just forgot about every single Whitney Houston song until she died and then it was just nonstop Whitney Houston on the radio. That will happen, yeah. yeah. Uh, also, they play a ton of Vanilla Ice on Florida Throwback Radio. Ooh. And I want to rem remind people that Vanilla Ice is terrible. Vanilla Ice made <laughs> terrible music. I was around when Vanilla Ice was a thing. If you think as a as a so-called if you call yourself a millennial and you're 25 years old and you think vanilla ice is like some funny thing that was actually popular in its day that people liked no one liked vanilla ice no one liked vanilla ice i don't know why he was popular it was like famously lame music we knew he was lame when i was in like fifth grade and we had the taste in fifth grade to be like that guy is lame vanilla ice existed to be made fun of he should not be enjoyed in in nostalgic retrospective also, they ripped off that hook from David Bowie. So, yeah, totally ripped yeah. off that hook. And then Sam like, no, 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 it's dum 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 dum. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's it's under pressure by David Bowie. Yeah, it's study. yeah, um, and it's bad. It's he's bad. I'm sorry, it's but I sucks. Like that music is terrible. Don't listen to it. Don't play it on your throwback rap station. Play these tons of good music, especially hip hop from the '90s. It's like my single favorite genre. Don't, don't sully it with Vanilla Ice. What are you doing? And I know it's in Florida, and Florida, like, goes hard out for Vanilla Ice because he's from Florida. Play me some Pitbull or something. Like, I'd rather hear new <laughs> stuff than Vanilla Ice. Never play Vanilla Ice. 
All right, good, good hot take, Ted. All right, let's end right there. Uh, you can check out the For the Win podcast on iTunes again. Uh, we're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We po- make posts at, at For the Win, FTWUSAToday.com. Hemel is on the internet. I'm on the internet. You can check us both out there. Hemel, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Peace out.